0: Welcome to Launch Your Wealth. Jonah Lemons here, your podcast host, real estate entrepreneur, and a mom of six talented kids taking a new stance on life, business, and wealth empowerment. I'm very excited to be here as we are also making it across the globe from US, Canada, Germany, Norway, Australia, Philippines, and Israel. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Real Estate Launch series will cover many different topics and share with you many open conversations with featured guests. And I'd like to take this moment and let you know that if you'd like to ask questions, share your comments, simply subscribe, and you can connect with me directly on Instagram at Launch Your and at realestateboss underscore official. I would be glad to read and reply to them. As you know, or may not know yet, Real Estate Launch Series is all about the ABC of launching your real estate success. It's about real estate entrepreneurship, real estate lessons, featuring investors, entrepreneurs, and business leaders who have started from ground zero and worked their way up. And no fluff look at many different topics to share a positive message, insight, and inspiration. This is such an important topic for me to dive into and really bring attention to how we can all learn, especially with our current pandemic and how many lives are affected today. I am a believer that in every problem, there is an alternative solution. I have Brian C. Adams, who is founder and president of Excelsior Capital. He is also a recovering attorney, a real estate private equity sponsor based in Nashville, Tennessee, that specializes in yield generation by primarily focusing on stabilized income and capital preservation well let's see what we can learn from today's open conversation welcome Brian uh, you know just really excited to have you here at launcher wealth actually because um, we're, we're doing this whole change with the real estate launch series so I've had actually four amazing guests. So you're going to be in that lineup for sure. So I wanna welcome you. And uh, basically Brian is the president and founder of Excelsior Capital, hopefully I'm saying that properly, where he leads the investor relations and capital markets arms of the firm. He has 10 years of experience in real estate private equity and leverages his knowledge to source strategic commercial real estate investments guaranteed to deliver strong yields and returns for his partners. So having said all all of that, you know, who is Brian, aside from business and work and real estate and all the good stuff? And, you know, I just want to welcome you and and share with us, you know, what it's all about for you.
1: Yeah, thank you again for having me. The journey of self-discovery is one that we are on, and I don't think there's actually a destination, but kind of to put a framework around it, um, I am a husband, father of two boys, and an entrepreneur that is probably in the midlife crisis phase of his <laughs> company, frankly, if you're doing this for a decade. Oh, i really? there's been through some ups, been through some downs, have rebranded once. And um, yeah, I think that's probably pretty accurate in terms of syndicators out there doing what we've been doing. Um, there probably aren't a ton that have, the, the number of years under the belt that I do, so.
0: It seems like it, and, and I know that I, you know, read that off your your bio, so to speak, because and, and, I, I wanted to make sure it was stated correctly. And now hearing this, you know, being a, a dad with two sons, and and, and I know uh, briefly you had moved from upstate New York to Nashville. And, uh, you know, of course, we've seen so much change on, on your end of, of the uh, planet. Slash Earth. I was I was there, I think, back in 2002. So I'm sure it's evolved and changed. And and, and the key word that I that I kind of wanted to emphasize on is 10 years plus that you've been an entrepreneur running this rebranding how important that is. It is actually today you know, the whole social media platform um, that's taken all of us. I'm an entrepreneur. I've been an entrepreneur 15 years plus, um, maybe not in, in the same expertise or path as you are, but I totally understand, you know, the, the whole rebranding and getting our message out, you know, especially with technology and this digital space we're in. So I'm, I'm curious, take us back a little bit, you know, how was that like moving to Nashville? Do you feel that at some point that 10-15 years that you've been living there, and correct me if I'm if I'm wrong. Um, do you feel that that helped you, you know, hone in this this business and and grow it, and now build your wealth, your personal wealth as well? Uh, because of course, New York isn't going to be a very um, friendly uh, state for something like that. Um, and, and I'm just thinking because I'm in that situation where being in you know California, Los Angeles market, it's it's not really the same um, for, for businesses.
1: Yeah. I mean, New York is, there's a lot of sharp elbows, um, very difficult place to be an entrepreneur. There's a lot of pessimists out there. And, um, I think even though it is kind of the center of the financial universe, although that might be degrading here, um, it's, it's actually not a very gendering place to start a company, in my opinion. And so it was really nice to hit the refresh button, and reset my own personal kind of pro- and professional life when I moved to Nashville 15 years ago. And I had the just amazing fortune to be married into a family that had means and resources and experience in the private equity real estate space. And I want to be very transparent that I benefited hugely from the ability to have the, the family part of my life and to be so supportive. And obviously just my incredible white privilege of being who i am the way i look and the schools that i went to and the ability to pretty much get any meaning i want gave me a huge unfair advantage um so i kind of want to just put that out there and be very transparent about it um i think it's something we all need to come to terms to and talk openly about i think it's healthy so that being said i did um the, the hardest thing my father ever did but probably the best thing he did was he invested in the in the company originally and he introduced me to two people and he said you can tell anyone that you want that i'm invested with you but you i'm not going to make any more introductions for you i'm not going to you know be a referral for you you've got to do it the hard way and so initially it was just grinding it out doing coffee meetings lunches dinners on the road very old school and that was really how i ran the business especially from the fundraising side for probably five six years over time and especially with this rebrand i started leveraging kind of marketing consultants learning more about linkedin and then really with covid it just supercharged out of necessity at first um, all my focus on webinars podcasts doing things like this putting myself out there outside of my comfort zone and it's, it's paid huge dividends. So, um, I've kind of been on that hero's journey where I started the company, did really well, grew really fast, had a setback, uh, because I didn't scale it appropriately and I made a whole lot of mistakes. And now the second iteration, um, trying to not step in the same pothole twice. And and so far it's really proved, proved out. So hopefully I can, tell people the mistakes I made is that they won't make those same mistakes moving forward.
0: Well, what was, what was the setback mainly running, uh, starting and running the business or is it setback, uh, that involved, you know, uh, investments and, and more on a financial, I guess it, it goes hand in hand.
1: Yeah. It wasn't so much the underlying real estate. It was my failure to appreciate the fact that in our business, you've got the real estate deals and the investments you're making, which are, are obviously very important, but almost as important, maybe more important is you're actually running a small business. And the the workings of that small business have very little to do with the underlying real estate assets themselves. So we became deal guys, to use a pejorative word. And we were focused on acquiring assets, raising capital, running and gunning, whatever cliche you want to use. And it was great, but I totally um, disregarded uh, communication, reporting, investor relations, tax, audit, communications, HR, it all got put on the back burner. And then, you know, we we raised a lot of capital. So we probably bought 150-200 million dollars of real estate in three, four or five years. And then it all kind of caught up at once where it just was, it was all happening simultaneously. And it, it, it all, it just, it just blew up. So not the underlying assets, but just the way that I was running the business. So I had to take everything down to the studs and rebuild it, which I think ultimately makes me a better manager. Um, but it was a painful process. I got kicked in the teeth for about a year by my investors and other folks in my network, in my own family, because I had, I had not paid enough attention to that aspect of the business.
0: Wow. that I'm just taking that on uh, or in because, um, you know, you, you, said, you, you said a lot of good things, you know, talking about, um, you know, the setback, um, being able to run it, not in the underlining aspect of real estate, um, having to scale or maybe start from ground zero, sort of speak, and kind of think about that rebranding and how to execute now going into this next or new decade that we're all in. It's so relatable. It's so relatable because you know, for me, I'm not so much of rebranding or starting over. I, I had to pick up the pieces in 2007. And so that really what propelled us to to go in the tech industry uh, because my husband, who's also my partner, he's in the tech. So we decided, hey, you know what? Financial market crashed. We have to, we take our wins, we are taking our losses. Fast forward, I can relate and I'm sure a lot of people can relate because you said, you know, about the whole um, midlife crisis and kind of just trying to figure things out. Um, you know, whether that's personal or not, um, you know, I think we all go through that. You said another key thing, which is, you know, having that privilege. And just a disclaimer, you know, we're not trying to get political or talk about race. Um, I think it's just really being transparent and having that open conversation and saying, what are the inequalities? And, um, you know, I know for a fact, being a woman, being a minority and facing a predominantly uh operated and ran industry whether you're working behind the scenes or on the forefront and now I'm getting that experience on the forefront because I've been on the back end I've been on you know the behind the scenes work so I I definitely can relate and um you know going looking at where we're at now you know using social media and and sort of sharing your message, sharing the lessons that perhaps so many people that are underway or about to get into this path, you know, maybe let's touch on that, you know, what were the most um, difficult uh, lessons that you had to learn within this, this, that you just mentioned, um, you know, having to kind of start over, um, you know, people within your network and even family, uh, you know, were sort of part of that, you know, what were some of, uh, you know, the issues that you had to face that, you know, you kind of looked at it and said, you know what, that really humbled me.
1: Yeah, I get humbled every day. And I think it's important to have the, to use the cliche, that growth mindset, but to understand that, um, as Brene Brown says, clear is kind, but it works both ways. And so it's very hard to talk to an investor group that's frustrated with your lack of communication or your poor reporting, in my case and go in front of them and just be totally vulnerable, take the rocks as they come, but also it's powerful to just, you know, open open the closet and say, listen, I screwed up. Right. This is how I screwed up. And this is what I'm gonna to do to fix it. And the only thing I can do is work really hard to address these issues. Um, it's it's not a fun way to spend time, but I think it is a really healthy exercise for us all to go through. Because thankfully it wasn't a catastrophic issue about the company, but you see more and more, unfortunately, people who want to blame third parties, project onto others when, you know, and especially, I think much more so in the, the white male, alpha male, culture, this hero culture that we uh, apparently have to abide by, admitting when you've screwed up. I mean, it happens. It's, right. it's okay, but it's not okay to, to run away from it.
0: And, and does it matter if it's on a bigger scale or smaller scale or is all the same impact?
1: I don't think so. I think when you hurt somebody's feelings, um, and you know that you could have done a better job, I don't think it really matters on the scale. Because we're talking about empathy here. Right. Talking about understanding how you've impacted other people's lives for, for good or bad. And from that standpoint, it's not really about the money.
0: Yes. It goes beyond. That's right. I mean, you know, you being an asset manager, I mean, maybe kind of just talk about it more on a technical, you know, take us through what, what is that like, you know, to to run a such a big um, volume business? Um,
1: yeah, so as per for perspective, we run about two and a half million square feet. Portfolio is probably 350 million of value across 12 markets. So, in the grand scheme of things for real estate, it's all relative. That could be big to some people, it could be very small to some people, but that's just my situation. But fundamentally, I think the lesson I've learned is just total transparency really there's no excuse now to your point with some of the prop tech commercial real estate technology companies out there. It's inexcusable for a manager not to have incredibly good reporting and precise uh, documentation of everything that's happening on the asset level, right? We use Juniper square. They're unbelievable. So we send out monthly financials, quarterly market commentary, quarterly asset commentary. Um, People can access, their investment information 24-7 They can go back and look at historical financials, historical reporting, et cetera. Um, I mean, that should be, in my opinion, the baseline these days because of how easy it is to put all these things together now with, with tech. But it's important that if you're an aspiring entrepreneur or a sponsor and you wanna be in this business, you need to just understand that you need to put time and money and resources towards that before you even start buying up real estate. Because if you don't have that squared away, I don't care how good your deals are. It's going to be, it's going to be painful. And I will tell you that if you're going to syndicate to a group of high near individuals and families, and you're going to take on a lot of folks, you just need to be, upfront about how much time it's going to take you to deal with that. If you don't have the infrastructure set up on the front end, because people will be calling, they'll have questions. And if, if you do not have complete transparency and top notch communications, people will assume the worst about you and your deals. So for your own sanity and to scale your business efficiently, you need to have investor relations, um, and communications and reporting squared away on the front end.
0: I I love how you emphasize that you literally were speaking my lingo how communication is so important the fact that you know to even begin any kind of raising private money the infrastructure the framework whether you're using tech or on an operational level is so key. I can understand this from a very raw perspective because I'm in that right now. And you know technology and the efficiency is so underestimated as well. And you know to me, I think whether you're just getting started, you're midway or you're part of you know an LP, I think eventually you know you're going to want to be an active investor. One day, I, I would definitely say, you know get that going be, before you could even think of, of, of that at that point. And how, how important is it, is it for you to, to think big, you know, on, on something like this in, in the real estate game? Like, how important, like, do you, do you agree that when people are just getting started, you know, they may have, you know, two, three years worth of experience and they suddenly want to scale. What's your take on that? Like, should they think big or execute more conservatively? You know, put aside what you already know. Like, what would be your kind of take if you were to put yourself in their place? Because I'm hearing a lot of that. Uh, discussion going on on a lot of these uh, real estate networks, you know, where gurus and mentors and, and nothing wrong with that. I, I really believe that we all need something like that along the way, uh, people that sort of gone through it. But at the same time, you know, they, they say a lot about, oh, start small and kind of execute conservatively. But I, I just feel like my opinion is, you're going to put the same time and effort so why why do it so small? But that's just me. But what what's your take on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you can kind of um, find a middle ground there. Where, you know, for instance, I think an investor portal—I don't understand that you could run the business without it these days. And so that's just the first box you need to check. And you can—you don't necessarily have to have Juniper Square, which is expensive. Yes. There's a lot of other more affordable options to get you started that don't have all the bells and whistles with Juniper, that's fine. But it's kind of like, so I'm a recovering attorney and the rule of thumb for people doing their wills and their trust and estate work is every five years, right? So every time you have a kid, every time you know something big happens in your life, it's like, uh, I gotta call you know, whoever at the law firm and make sure all my stuff's squared away. Um, So I think you need to internally understand that, okay, once I've hit whatever the uh, metric is, X amount of assets under management, X amount of square foot, um, X amount of employees, AUM, whatever the number is, and then say, okay, instead of third party bookkeeping and accounting, I need to have somebody in-house or at least have a fractional person that only has two other gigs as opposed to just having X amount of hours a week. And then the next step would be, okay, well, now I have a full-time internal controller. You need to gradually build these things, um, but you need to be cognizant of it. And that's where having a really good mentor network, other GPs and sponsors that can say, hey, you're at a level where you need to take some money out of your own pocket and you need to hire an asset manager or you need to hire an acquisitions person. You need to hire um, a virtual assistant or... Whatever it is, but
0: outsource, outsource yeah, some of those things.
1: You, you need to start building up the team to free you up to focus on creating value for the enterprise, because that will trickle down to your investors. And at some point, you just can't outsource everything. You can't third party vendor everything, and you can't manage everything on your own. And I think you just need to have to go back to our conversation about being humble. You can't do it all yourself. You can't be efficient that way. So there's some very basic things that you need to make sure you do day one. And then as you scale the business, you have to understand, okay, well, this is the next aspirational thing I need to do as I get to a certain level.
0: So it's not really so much of timeline. It's really kind of having that checkbox filled with goals, you know, the, the action steps, you know, to kind of forming what it is you want to do. Um, You know, of course, you know, somebody may not have 300 million, you know, asset under management, and they're just kind of getting in there in the the seven figure seven, eight figure uh, deals, you know, what would be your, um, you know, best advice as they're going into, you know, finding their joint ventures, or whether they're thinking of, of doing a GP, raising, you know, private capital, or even accredited, whatever they need to do to, to set that up. I mean, is that something that you feel probably would work best to, to kind of say, you know what, let's just, you know, as new investors, let's just, you know, kind of be more passive. Or do you believe that they should find, you know, those joint venture partnerships if it's there? Because every, everybody now has no choice anyway. We have to network virtually and kind of get to know everybody. And so, you know, I, I attended a, um, an event at Real Estate Connections last night, um, which is, you know, uh, a virtual meetup. Via LinkedIn, and um, great topic from Jerome. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sure we're in the same network there. You're familiar with him, and I, I really love his backstory, how he kind of got into it, his his life experience, and um, you know, he touched on joint venture partnerships versus syndication, the pros and cons, yeah. and it was as basic as you can see, you know. So it's it's no brainer. But what's your take on that? If someone is, you know, doesn't matter whether they have their own money to bring in but let's just say they have stuff to bring to the table. Would you, how do you see joint venturing versus syndicating or sponsoring uh, or co-sponsoring an actual project?
1: Yeah, so I have pretty strong feelings on this subject.
0: Love it, so go ahead.
1: (laughs) I think joint, so joint, when I think of a joint venture, I think of an institutional limited partnership group That is going to be 90% to 95% of your equity. And they are going to have co, they're going to have co-GP rights. So I think that is a very expensive business Mm. from a cost of capital, but also from a psychological, emotional standpoint. And I would be very wary of doing a joint venture deal with a group unless you really feel comfortable that you trust them and that you understand that you are no longer running your own business. Mm. So when I think a big mistake entrepreneurs and sponsors make is, oh, I hope one day I can work with Carlisle or Blackstone or Angela Gordon or whoever, whatever the number is, whatever the name is. I personally think it's a very difficult business to be in. And ultimately the business model that those groups have is finding really talented sponsors and GPs, making sure that they, that the talented sponsor GP that is up and coming fundamentally that joint venture partner never wants that person or team to be able to raise their own funds or have their own company because they're competition. It, it does not behoove the Wall Street guys, people of the world, to allow a bunch of up and coming talented sponsors to have competition. So not only are they trying to make a lot of money on you, they're trying to make sure that you never have your own true business.
0: Huh. That's... I mean, that's... Why,
1: why would they? I mean, that you would just take their deal flow, you would take money out of their pockets, you would go to their own institutional limited partners and try to raise capital from them. Hmm. You've got this old boys club of probably 25, 50 firms. And part of what they do is to make sure that they own that whole world, right? So something like 85% of all the institutional limited partnership money raised total for commercial real estate. In the last 10 years, we've gone to five firms.
0: <laughs> and those five firms are quite obvious.
1: <laughs> Carlisle, yeah. uh, Blackstone, Blackstone. Yeah. Brookfield, whatever. You know the names.
0: Yeah,
1: They've got a great business. Why would they want someone to take it away from them?
0: That's right.
1: My two cents.
0: Yes. You know, I mean, I mean, you're swimming in a big ocean. What would you, and just, you know, entertain me. Big ocean, smaller fish, or smaller ocean, bigger fishes. Where would you want to jump in?
1: I mean, after after running (laughs) my own company for 10 years, if somebody came to me with an employee handbook, I wouldn't even know how to respond. I think it'd be very challenging for me to have that kind of uh, structure inhibiting me. So for me, I like what I'm doing. I have a great quality of life. I know exactly the type of investors I wanna work with. I'm at a point in my career where I can't necessarily pick and choose, but I have a no-jerk policy. I don't work with institutional LPs. I don't want to. Um, I like my business. I might not be able to build a billion-dollar business, But, and this is going to go really deep, really fast on you. Ultimately, we're all worm food. So why would I want to do an aggravating business for 25, 35 plus years that takes me away from my family when I could work with people that I like and have investors that I like? Maybe like make less money, but I could have a lot more fun and enjoy myself and you know, there's a lot of studies out there that once you make over 75 grand, you don't really get anywhere more happy. And actually, interestingly, um, I've heard this a lot from other groups. And um, Anthony Scarmucci, who you know is a hedge fund fund to funds guy, made a lot of money. He would recently said that it doesn't matter how many zeros you have in the bank account, it doesn't really help your ability to handle the human condition of what are we? Who are we? And where are we going? Which I know I went way off the grid there, but that's how I would think about kind of doing some of those deals. It just... Right.
0: It's 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 a great perspective because I think you know I was just telling my son that the other day. I said you know people focus too much on the what, and they and they forget who. Who do they want to become in the process? So even as you know investors or operators, or as, you know, this enterprise level growth that, you know, we would want to ideally accomplish, like you're saying, there's always a price to pay, you know, relationships, life itself, you know, whether you're not yet a parent, there's always going to be that um, Yeah, I mean,
1: those JV deals, there will be some Harvard Business School graduate calling you on Saturday morning. Yes. And when they want to sell, you sell. It might not be the right thing for your common equity. It might not be the right thing for your co-GP partners. It might not be the right thing for you, but they don't care. It's yeah. hard to be a fiduciary in those deals, in my opinion.
0: Right. That, yeah, that that's what I'm seeing. You know, there's so much around that, that, you know, when you...
1: and. You know, you have more of an insight because
0: you're a recovering attorney. So, Well,
1: I think some people see it as kind of this golden key that once they have it, everything will change and everything will be great. <laughs> but we all know you and I have been doing this long enough that <laughs> no. in your head, you can say, when I do this, everything will be great, but it's never great. It's just another stop on the journey. And the reason I like syndicating deal by deal is because it proves to me that the deal is worthwhile. I mean, if you've got a good deal, you'll raise on it. And if it's not a good deal, you won't.
0: But I mean, sometimes in those
1: like, JV relationships, they just give you a big chunk of change. And right. I think it'd be more pressure, honestly.
0: Or you can look at it and say, well, I've got a chunk of you know money here. Let me just you know put it on your table and you go with it. Yeah. But you know, don't do it. But I w-
1: I'd love to have a debate with Jerome about that. It'd be fun.
0: That would be great. Maybe I'll set something up.
1: Yeah, be, I'd right? love to. yeah because
0: i mean he gave a really good perspective to simplify it because i think a lot of people you know haven't thought about the whole jv aspect everybody's trying to do this you know hey we want to sponsor a deal hey we want to put you know put a few people together and so it's kind of like you i mean it's everywhere right now you know and how many multifamily commercial real estate are you really going to grab when you're all swimming in the same ocean mm-hmm you know, the competition is there. And again, you have to, you know, what my husband would say is you have to kiss a lot of frogs to even get that loyalty for a deal. And then, like you said, you're competing with the bigger, you know, sharks out there that does not want to have anything to do with giving it away, right? So it's, it's kind of a, you know, interesting thing to dive into. But for me, how I'm seeing it is you know, if, if you're, you know, I mean, let me take it back to you, you know, did you have to raise um, accredited investors or how did you begin with that? Was it more like the family money you were talking about and you had a little push up, you know, compared to other people? Um, but honestly, if I may kind of just put on the sideline, I don't think there's any disadvantage, whether you're coming in with personal money, family money, uh, you know, as long as you have skills and, and, and I think the passion to want to do it, it'll fly, you know, the way you probably would. I mean, you know, inevitable, the twists and turns like COVID happened uh, and mistakes along the way. But I I think I don't think it's um, it's any different if you didn't come with family money or sort of the reputation to go in there. Like you were saying, you know, hey, I'm going to refer you to 10 people I know. You know, I have a little bit of experience on that. And I always say no. You know, I'd prefer to earn it my way because I think that's when you realize what you're capable of doing. So that to me kind of enriches me in, in a more holistic approach, more, you know, that sort of mindset. But I mean, I could have, I, I could have leveraged off, you know, a lot of those things, but I didn't. But I, I think on the side note, you know, to encourage everybody, you don't have to be that. You, you can get in this business and be an entrepreneur, be a real estate entrepreneur, no matter what it doesn't matter what your, your formal education, it's all about that, you know, grit, right. To make it through. And I was just saying that to my son today. I said, you know what you guys, the real estate game is never easy, never easy. So, you know, what's your take on that? It's like, did you have to raise outside that or was it enough to kind of get it off the ground for you?
1: Yeah, no. So, um, I definitely had to raise, um, but I still do. So, I've probably raised 75 to $85 million and the family gave me a hundred thousand to start. Nice. So, and they've continued to invest me, but for the most part, I've just gone out there and gotten a lot of no's That's part of it. Right. I mean, that's, that's, that's this, that's this business we're in. And to your point, it's a low barrier entry business. So, It can create huge opportunity because there's inefficiencies and almost anyone can do this, but it's also the wild west. And, um, one of the things that you can differentiate yourself by is embracing that grind, having that grit and understanding that part of this business is making sales calls and it's not a sales call unless you make an ask. And unless you're getting no's, you're not making enough asks. And a lot of people just don't feel comfortable with that. They, you know, they feel like it's a reflection on them as a person, and it's very difficult. I think you just need to have a short-term memory and, you know, understand that you're going to get a lot of no's, but you'll get some yeses, and if you keep working, more and more people will say yes, and you'll have loyal investors, and it's kind of this snowball network effect, but when you first get in the game, and I I have a whole thesis about the right way to do that or not, but... You know what I mean, yeah, that's part of it. it's it's doing five coffee meetings a day, making ten calls, getting the warm introductions, getting it's the referrals. Process. getting the meetings, staying on the meeting, doing the follow-up. Yeah, absolutely.
0: It's a sales process. Yes. And, I mean, we could take the word sales out. I think it's a relationship process. You know, building that trust, your your personal brand, is definitely important now with social media, you know, kind of being more aware of what you're putting out there as well. Um, and, and creating a I think it relates to creating that system too. You know, we talk a lot about um the technology behind that, you know, so because I mean, not ev- and not everybody can sit at their desk and make 100 calls, that takes a system. And and, and you know, let me rephrase to go out there and network and meet a hundred people a day would be nearly impossible. Um, I think it's impossible. Virtually now, I think we're seeing that, you know we can do that on Zoom webinars, attend these virtual networking you know uh, via Zoom. So that's, that's good, um, but yeah, you're right. I mean, you have to have a short-term memory, raising capital, you're going to get a lot of no's. You have to definitely build your credibility. So if you haven't thought about that, those who are, tuning in, you know, they haven't thought about that. The social media aspect is one piece, it's barely scratching the surface. Uh, Getting on podcasts, that's, you know, great way to, to, you know, kind of just show who you are. Uh, Some of your, you know, lessons learned as well, like what Brian has been sharing. Um, And really, I think, you know, having a system, you know, kind of whether you have a business plan at hand, uh, goal setting, making sure you know where you're headed with this vision. Because building a a company, whether it's small or taking it to scale and enterprise level, I have seen the ins and outs of that. It is not easy. That is definitely not easy. Um, And that doesn't even talk about investors and the legal, you know, structures of it. It's more like operational. Um, And, you know, like I said, we're we're approaching the new decade. What do you think of, of real estate tech? Just on that side note, you know, where it's headed?
1: Yeah, I did a webinar about PropTech um, and it was super interesting. I think COVID, uh, like everything, is accelerating all these trends and changes that we've been talking about coming and they're here today. So I really think there's gonna be a massive disruption within asset management, property management, leasing, fundraising. I think it's all in play to get this remediated by some of these up and coming tech platforms. So unless you are staying up with what's happening in that industry, you're going to get left behind. But the plus side is, I think it will make everything much more efficient. There'll be less friction cost, and it will allow people to you know, start companies sooner and easier, which is healthier for the marketplace.
0: I think so. I think it will definitely stimulate a lot of these people that are kind of you know, analysis paralysis too. That's what it's opening up, you know, to to uh, even, you know, go through a, a syndication. You know, we have all of that kind of uh, integ- integratable in our operations. I mean, I have not done a syndication. Uh, I'm more on the business side. So actually my new company is, is set to open uh, in a couple of months. And so, you know, I can definitely relate to, you know, everything that you were sharing here. You're, you're definitely more ahead of me and, uh, and and you know it's it's good to hear that from somebody that kind of just went you know what I've been there let me go backwards now a little bit and kind of cover you know not miss out on these current steps now and, and have time to to kind of enjoy uh, life you know I, I'm in the same way but my motivation you know is a uh, is a little bit deeper than just real estate and money for me it's it's a legacy uh, so what's your take on that I mean I'm sure you know that's what you want for your children. That's what you want for, you know, for the next generation. You know, share with us what you're doing for something like that. You know, how you've initiated that path.
1: Yeah. So, you know, I, I think legacy is a hard thing. To be honest with you, um, we all think the the old setup was that you would build monuments to your greatness in the hopes that you could escape death. <laughs> and we none of us can and so for me i am really focused on i've got a seven year old and a four year old two boys my number one priority is to make sure they're not self-entitled jerks that they're empathetic productive people that have healthy lives physically mentally and emotionally and i think everything else will to some extent take care of itself but that's my overriding goal and for me my company and the wealth allows me to have experiences with them and to afford them opportunities to be those good people more or less but it's very difficult for me to think really three two generations is probably the most i can do um, in terms of my own mindset so when i think about legacy Um, it's a challenging aspect for me, frankly, um, because I have trouble to remember what I did two or three years ago, let alone forecasting what's going to happen in two or three years. So to the extent that I can be present with the people that I love and give them opportunity to, to be the best people that they can be. Um, I think that's the goal. And then at this point, I mean, I'm only 38. I'd like to keep doing this for a while, but to the extent that I can just be completely open book and give as much back about the knowledge that I've gained by doing this for 10 years so that other people can start great businesses. Um, I think that would be a great legacy for me. I tell every employee that I bring on, I hope in two or three years you come to me and say, I want to own part of this business. You need to pay me more money, or I'm going to start my own thing. And I tell them, you should go start your own thing and I'll invest with you. And I hope you're fantastically successful. But those are the type of people that I want to surround myself with. And if I can, you know, have, I've got 12 people in the company today. If those 12 people go on to start their own businesses and they each employ 12 people, I would have made a great impact in the world.
0: I, I, you know, even hearing that, I think the legacy part is, you're right. I can't even project what two years after would look like, honestly. And I think the legacy itself is what we are doing in the present moment especially having kids, I can relate. I have four sons and two daughters. Ooh. And, uh, you know, they, I think, you know, like what you're saying, it's like teaching them those things. I think they'll, ref- they, they'll reflect that, you know, where they come from and, you know, what we did at least with them. And, uh, you know, you know, going to the whole entrepreneurial thing, I think a lot of people need to, to, to redefine or define their why, why they want to do real estate. Why do you want to even get into this venture of, you know, running, you know, who knows, 10, 20 million, 300 million asset under management. I, I can't even wrap around that, you know? And, and honestly, I'm around people that talk about that.
1: Yeah, I think, I think just like I get the question a lot about what family offices I know that have been successful and what the traits are that they share. And I think their multi-generational time horizon mindset is the same as being a company manager. And to your point, if you're getting into the business just for the money, I don't think you can sustain that. I don't think you'll ultimately be successful long-term because it has to be about the journey and the culture that you create within your company.
0: Or at least somewhere there, it's it becomes a relationship of feeling good that you're doing that you know, the happiness. So if you know you're going to be doing this for short term, I would probably say don't even get started. You know, like doing it for the long term, I think that's where everyone should look at, you know, with with this whole, I think, 10 years with real estate, what's happening in our economy. What's your, you know, um, take on what's happening with our economy? I'm curious.
1: Yes, (laughs) that's a big question. So... (laughs) There's clearly a massive dislocation between what's happening in the stock market and the economy. The real economy is suffering. We have massive unemployment. I could throw a bunch of numbers and statistics at you and it's it's really disconcerting. And I think the fed and Congress through monetary and fiscal stimulus will make sure that they do everything they can to buoy the economy that it will come back in the next 12 or 24 months but it's going to be a rough ride and there will be dramatic change that comes from this. I mean, one of the things that I really worry about is I think it's something like 20% of the workforce is employed in the retail hospitality sector. And I know me personally, I used to do a hundred flights a year, 25, 35 hotel nights a year. I just can't see that that business travel coming back anytime soon, especially now that we're all more accustomed to doing stuff over video, phone, social media, et cetera. And those people, you know, they flip the switch from being productive income producing people to being told, no, you can no longer work. So we need to find a place to put them so that they can continue to be productive and continue to provide for their own families. And that's where I think no matter what happens, you'll see an infrastructure uh, project kind of massive come out of this mm-hmm. in next year um, because we're in desperate need of it as an economy and as a, as a country. And it would be a great way to continue to have those people be participants in the workforce. But, yeah, I mean, it's very hard to say. Obviously, we have a very pivotal election coming up in November, which is really binary in a lot of ways in terms of what's going to happen with the economy and the market. Um, and it all kind of trickles down. So real estate obviously is a large portion of it, but it's a hard question to answer. And I certainly don't feel qualified to, but. Um...
0: But you're right. The personal economy is suffering, yeah. you know, people in, in coming from hospitality. I know. So one of my, you know, uh, really good connections. We had a, a podcast actually before um, COVID was really the thing. And I mean, they had to literally make adjustments for 10,000 employees. Uh, with their brand of of hotels um and uh that was sad to yeah. to hear that and and it wasn't you know you could see his facial reaction was not you know happy to actually do that so th- that is the real real stuff that's going on now um you know I mean you know I'm asking because I figure you know um, seeing that from our perspective, a lot of people are going, well, you guys don't have to worry about that, you know it's all good." no we feel it too i mean you know if you're a true entrepreneur like i said you're constantly thinking about how to solve problems how to innovate how to create some kind of positive impact and i think you know with the affordable housing um you know thoughts i think that's what we're going to need and and i and that's the that's the buzz that i'm hearing all around within you know different networks of of professionals and experts um you know Stimulating this whole Zoom, you know, the, the tech, you know, being able to run conferences and meetings and, you know, kind of apply it to your day-to-day business uh, needs and operations, I think is gonna be the key to that. Um, you know, what, where do we place that? You know, what are these people gonna need? Education. But they're not gonna want that if they're not seeking, right, it's all mindset, mindset. So financial education, you know, that I think that's important. Um, but if the mindset isn't there, how are they going to seek for that, right? It's, it's sort of being a self-starter and being self-motivated to want to do that. And I think there's still opportunities, right, for those that are coming, transitioning from employment to a setback and now saying, you know what, I want to run an online business, open an e-com business, or you know maybe kind of get in this path of, of real estate investing because I had you know, I don't know a TSP, 401k savings that you know were tucked away. Maybe kind of do that. And what do you think that looks like? Should they take a chance? Should they be a lot more conservative? Should they work with a financial advisor? Should they, you know, be focusing on just educating themselves because it is out there?
1: Yeah. So there's a big. I have a underlying investment thesis, at the way I look at the world, and I think. The democratization of access to alternatives is going to continue to be a theme that we see over the next 10 years play out SEC just announced yesterday or this morning. That the accredited investor regulations have been watered down more or less to allow more people to participate in these offerings and deals private equity is now allowed to participate. um, In 401k plans, which they weren't allowed to before and people are increasingly becoming aware that they can participate through their IRA. So if nothing else, even if you don't believe in the industry even you think alternative investments is, a, is smoke and mirrors, you need to at least educate yourself because even if you don't realize it, you're getting exposure to these type of assets and investment vehicles. So you need to at least, it's incumbent on you, I think, to understand what they are and what they aren't. So that's kind of my baseline.
0: Totally, yeah.
1: I think increasingly, you know, I saw a statistic that something like 85% of the stock market participants um, uh, are all kind of um, a small population of America. So um, you know, increasingly the stock market might not be a place to continue to create wealth. Unfortunately, there's fewer and fewer private or there's fewer and fewer public companies. Um, the market I think is gonna continue to be very volatile. Federal government is now a market participant, so it's really confusing there. Um, so I think alternatives, you know, make a lot of sense for people to get exposure to if they want outsized returns. I think inflation is coming, and so you need to be prepared for that. And it's all about passive income in a tax-efficient vehicle. We posted, we talked about this today on LinkedIn, you and I. Um, I think people need to be aware of this, and financial literacy is key because it's all coming, and more of it's coming. And I think the universe of investments is exciting and there's opportunity and risk. And so if nothing else, people just need to understand and educate themselves about what the options are in front of them.
0: And they they need to understand really the, the basic principles of saving and investing as well, because, you know, if you're just kind of feeling like, well, I have this money and, and let me go just, you know, be a passive investor in something, you know, I think, I think they need to understand their overall financial plan as well. And I think being more aware and educating themselves, I think, is the first step. Um, I mean, the the risk tolerance too. I mean, some people, you know, they they can do that. They can go all in and, you know, kind of feel like, well, you know, I'm, I'm doing well in life anyway. Um, so there's, there's so many different opinions. Um, but you know, for me, I think there's going to be a lot of money to be saved. Like I said, I I really believe that. Um, And, uh, I think it's going to be in the next few years and who knows, because I was there 2007, eight, nine, picking up the pieces and, uh, who was, you know, massively impacted. Um, we were just, you know, blessed that, you know, we were entrepreneurial. So we understood how to kind of support that and, and not feel like we had to break ourselves, you know, and not everybody will be lucky like that. You know, you may not have the emotional capacity, um, you know, to feel that loss or, you know, kind of uh, like you're saying, you know, when you have to to kind of damage control relationships and investor relations and all of those things. I think they they you have to assess that on your personal level of of risks as well, how you want to you know aim out there. Um,
1: yeah, I'll, I'll throw out some I'll throw out some hard earned free advice for people out there looking to get into this business. Only do non-recourse debt. And if you have a spouse and you have a family, I hope you trust them. Put everything that has value outside of your real estate deals into their name.
0: And, and I think one, uh, one thing too, is think about the tax implications and make sure you're working with a really good real estate qualified accountant. Not every account is created equal. So sometimes, you know, you have to kind of dictate the plan to them and and they make sure that it aligns, Um, not wait for them to tell you that.
1: Yeah, there's a reason the first thing I did when I did the second iteration of my company was hire a controller who's a CPA with a public accounting background and tax because it makes a big difference
0: and since we're kind of you know ending in that note like where would where can they find you you know if they want to seek for some advice or just want to kind of drop you a note on your social media maybe with everyone
1: yeah so uh excelsiorgp.com the website you can sign up for the newsletter you can check out our resources we do uh webinars blog pieces um all kinds of stuff it's free to access and then i'm very active on linkedin uh brian c adams if you look me up connect with me If you shoot me a message, I will schedule a time to talk to you. We can talk about fundraising, macroeconomics, hockey, whatever you wanna talk about, I'm happy to do it. I will try to give you as much free advice as I can give and you might get what you pay for on that, but I can hopefully tell you what not to do, which I think is more important than what to do.
0: Brian is such a down-to-earth real estate entrepreneur. He has so much to offer with his insight knowledge and expertise because he is also a recovering attorney, as he quotes. You can find him on LinkedIn, Twitter, at Brian C. Adams, too. This has been an enjoyable and learning experience for me as well. And I am here to open perspective and share insight that can help you launch your real estate investing and entrepreneurship. Until the next episode, thank you so much for being a part of Launch Your World.